0: bringing to life the souls of the past that until now have been lost to history. Talking Heart Island is a half-hour weekly podcast that explores the history of Heart Island, America's largest mass graveyard. Heart Island has been used as New York City's potter's field since 1869. It is estimated there are over one million people buried there. Because of recent advances in DNA and fingerprint technology, the identities of some of these previously forgotten and anonymous people have been revealed. The results are truly shocking. Talking Heart Island will interview a special guest each week, selected from an extraordinary assembly of scholars, authors, and scientists in the fields of history, law, medicine, and the arts as we unravel a secret kept hidden for 150 years. So welcome to Talking Heart Island. And now, here's our host, investigative history writer, Michael T. Keene.
1: Thank you very much, Norma Jean. And this is Michael Keane, and we are Talking Heart Island. Today's episode is brought to us by Mercantile on Main Street. They're located in Fairport, New York, and it's a gathering place for local crafters, artisans, vendors, and collectors, bringing you an array of gifts, home decor, crafts, and works of art and also the murray Holly Historical Society. They maintain a local history museum in Holly, New York, and a restored 1907 New York City railroad depot. Their goal is to preserve the past for future generations. Born in Jaleed, Ohio, Dawn Powell wrote 15 novels. More than a hundred short stories, numerous plays, book reviews, radio, television, and film scripts, hundreds of letters and diary entries, and also a smattering of poetry. But how come we don't know her? She's been called the greatest writer that no one has ever heard. And as our special guest today, we have a very special guest. He is a Pulitzer Prize-winning music critic, writer, editor, and a professor of music and communications and journalism at the University of Southern California. He is also the editor and biographer of the author Dawn Powell. So who better to tell us about the strange and tragic life and death of dawn powell and professor tim page how are you today
2: i'm doing just fine michael thanks so much for the call
1: well thank you for participating you know w- when i was thinking of our uh, uh talk today the first thought that came to me was why dawn powell um what were you intrigued by her life her writings? combination? I mean, how did she first come on to your radar screen, so to speak?
2: Uh, sure. Um, I, w- I was actually crossing the United States about every week in the fall of 1990. And I read an article by a famous critic named Edmund Wilson talking about Don mm-hmm. Powell. And it struck me that she'd be somebody I should look into. She was a lifelong, or most of her life, New Yorker. Um, and she was a satirist. And she was, you know, very funny. And I decided to track down her books. And I once I started reading them, I really fell in love with her and her writing and the whole time that she conveyed, which was basically New York City, particularly Greenwich Village, from about 1925 till she died in 1965. Um, and it turned out there was almost no information about her out there. So I got very, very interested in her, and I ended up meeting um, some relatives of hers. And uh we managed a little coup d'etat with the person who had been the executor and had not done a particularly good job. And suddenly, not expecting it at all, I became the Dawn Powell person. I was, you know, I first did a collection of her writing, and then I went on to her diaries, her short stories, her plays, her novels. And then I finally wrote a biography, which came out in 1998. And, you know, they always tell biographers uh, two things. They say, um, you know, make sure there are no family members left because they'll try to make you say all the best things about the person. And they also tell you you're going to get very tired of the personality. But um, I ended up thinking she's great. And I'm delighted to see that a lot of other people are reading her now. And um, and it's it's just very exciting
1: the uh her living most of her life in Greenwich village could you describe the setting for us a little bit i understand she hung out with an array of famous writers i guess from the beat generation to the great writers of the uh, 60s and 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 so on could you describe what it was like back then for her
2: sure the the thing is that practically Any city or college town now has its own version of quote unquote Greenwich Village. But there was a time where it was the place if you were a, you know, young, poor poet or you were a, um, you know, or if you were gay or if you were um, eccentric. And it was the village. It was a place that, believe it or not, back then was very, very cheap. Uh, and there were tons of writers and poets who all knew each other, or many of them knew each other. And um, she just really enjoyed it because I, I think she thought it represented um, the, uh, you know, the, 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 the human condition, really, in all sorts of different manners. Um, and, you know, today we all have our bohemian neighborhoods and certainly any big city And most college towns too. But back then it was Greenwich Village and there really wasn't any other place in the state, in in the United States. And it got to be very famous for that reason. Um, and she liked it because she had a cynical attitude towards life. She loved the Roman satirists, for instance. And she found a lot of material to write about down there and, and she found it a very convivial place to live.
1: Where did that cynicism come from, do you think?
2: Oh, I think it could have come from a lot of things. She had a hellish childhood, um, mm-hmm. a stepmother who who burned her own writing and uh, wouldn't let the children um, into the living room and uh, just an absolute monster. Uh, and Dawn paid her back with her novel, my home is far away which is very autobiographical um, but uh i think it also came about because she had a sort of um oh what what's the right word certainly a skeptical view of human motives and uh not quite a cynic but but certainly a skeptic and she found people funny she um she she was heartily apolitical. She made fun of her millionaires as um, as much as she made fun of her communists and made fun of her poets and made fun of women and made fun of men. And uh, it it sometimes turns some people off because they think, oh, this is just too sardonic. But, you know, if you read her carefully, you realize that she has human sympathy for all these people. That behind the mockery and the satire, um, there is a real compassion for human beings and the way they have to exist in this strange world we're on.
1: You know, I uh, had read at one point that most writers, even though they are bemoaning the human condition, in the end, everything works out. But with Dawn... um, I understand that she felt that things did not work out.
2: No, yeah, I, w- I would say that's that's pretty legitimate. Um, she she didn't believe in fairy tale happy endings at all. Um, which, which isn't to say that she was mean, or isn't to say that she didn't have sympathy for these people, but but she saw the absurdity of the way you know people sometimes live. And she managed to capture it, especially in her novels, but also to some extent in her um, short stories and plays. And then uh, I also edited her diaries and her, um, and her letters. And uh, they're, you know, they're, they're um, very intense, sometimes very, very sad, sometimes hilarious. Uh, and, uh, she's somebody who you have to get a little used to her. And for those who really want a extremely happy or ennobling ending, you won't find it in Dawn Powell.
1: Is that one of the reasons perhaps that she wasn't widely read during her lifetime? And, and also how would she be received today as a writer? <laughs>
2: Well, there are a lot more people reading Dawn Powell now than there ever were before, and she's taken seriously, which she really wasn't so much when she was alive. I think one of the reasons that she hasn't been picked up by a lot of academics is because she's funny, and we're always a little suspicious of people who are completely without pomposity and who find the world rather funny. She also thinks that women can be just as silly as men and men can be just as silly as women. Um, and so she hasn't been picked up necessarily by by a lot of feminists, although I would say that pretty much all the smarter young women writers tend to be Don Powell fans because. Be, be, you know, she creates a world, a world that is sort of gone, but she also has the idea of a universal human nature, and she doesn't think it's perfect at all. Um, and so there's a side of her which is timeless. I mean, if you want to compare her to somebody, compare her to Chaucer or Petronius or, um, you know, the, the, the great satirists of the past.
1: So she was perhaps before her time or Um, after her
2: time. Well, it's it's a mixture of both. I, I think a lot of people who wanted a traditional novel were not pleased by the fact that she didn't have happy endings and didn't tidy things all up. And I think some of them were probably shocked by the fact that some of her characters are gay and many of them are promiscuous. And they're they're writers, and they're not chasing the almighty buck. And I think that upsets some people. And then I think on the other side, say the the far left. Um, and she was publishing when the Communist Party was actually a fairly significant part of uh, of Bohemia, at least some Bohemias. Um, and I think they were upset by the fact that she didn't think any revolution would really change much of anything. and that um, she she thought that, you know, the the communists were just as ridiculous as the as the the millionaires. And I think people wanted a moral from her, and that is something that Powell pretty much successfully resisted, probably, to the detriment of her sales.
1: So she didn't fit into any box, that's for sure. Uh, sure. uh, Could you uh, talk a little bit about uh, her life uh, after she moved to New York? She was married, I understand, and and had a son, but who had special needs. And and that sounds like a rather difficult uh, situation. Could you talk about that a little bit?
2: It was very difficult. She married a, um, a a man who worked on in Madison Avenue advertising, a man named Joseph Goucher, and they had one son uh, named Joseph Goucher Jr., um, who was often uh, described as being schizophrenic or "quote unquote" retarded or having cerebral palsy. And who now, it seems to most of us, probably suffered from autism. He was extraordinarily bright. He had an amazing memory for facts and figures and dates. But he was missing a lot of other things. And he was subject to terrible tantrums and uh, enormous um, social difficulties. Um, Dawn and her husband tried to keep him at home but he was too chaotic for that. And he ended up um, being in various hospitals over the time. And it was a, you know, it was a pretty terrible thing for him. Um, One time Dawn had him home and he, it it seems, I I have absolutely no positive concrete proof of this, but it seems that he beat her up very badly. And she was taken to the hospital. So he was a handful throughout her whole life. He loved her very much. He was very sensitive to music, and and he learned whole um, whole chapters of Dickens by heart. But he um, he really couldn't do anything that would keep him going. You know, he actually lived until my uh, until after my book was published, my biography. He died on Christmas Day, um, 1998. And I never met him, but he, he helped me out enormously by writing just facts about his mother. You know, things like on May 5th, 1938, my mother took me to the so-and-so hotel, but there are no details in his writing. I mean, he clearly did not have the, the sort of humanist understanding that we expect from most people. Um, I think his life would have been very, very different if he had been recognized as autistic. Uh, and I think he might have been helped in many ways. But it was not to be. And he died in a state home for the mentally impaired in 1998 um his guardian after Dawn's death in 1965 was a man named Jack Sherman John Henry Sher- uh, John Franklin Sherman uh who was one of the kindest people I ever met and who was really my guide through Dawn's life and uh and through um the history of Jojo as he was always called
1: can you talk a little bit about uh, what happened to Dawn I mean, at the end of her life, she died and then she wanted her body uh, to be donated to, was it the Cornell Medical Center? And then what happened afterwards when her remains were offered back to, I think it was her publicist. C- can you talk about that a little bit? It's sure. a very sad story.
2: Uh, y- yeah, it, it, it's sad, although I think Dawn in a funny way would have been grimly amused by it. <laughs> <laughs> um, what happened was Dawn died of um, of uh, intestinal cancer um, in or stomach cancer, intestine, gastrointestinal, uh, something in her stomach, which first shriveled her up to a to about ninety five pounds and then less, and she'd been fairly heavy set during most of her life um and she um she fought it for about a year um and they gave her all sorts of treatments the best treatments they could um and then she wrote a very hasty and ill advised will which just shocks any lawyer who reads it because it left everything sort of up for ambiguity um and uh she did want her body given to the Cornell Medical Center and uh so far as we can tell the body was given to Cornell i have no idea what was done to the body i think that's confidential with them and i there's no one around who would know you know uh 54 years later but um she was um What happened was in 1970, five years after she died, Cornell had saved some portions of her body. I have no idea how much, whether it was just a small box or whether it was, you know, a a fair amount. But it was offered to the woman who became her executor um and uh th- this woman um did not want to pick up what was left and so cornell um sent the remains to what was called at least in their records new york city cemetery and i came across a letter from cornell uh that had a little squiggle down at the bottom um buried at NYC Cemetery. And I had no idea what this was. So I did some looking around. Remember that we didn't have the internet then. So we couldn't just immediately look it up. This is the summer of 1997. Mm -hmm. And when I was working on it and, um, and, and so what happened was, um, she, um, the there her remains went. and um, so then I looked into it and I found out about Hart Island, and I called a very nice gentleman named Commander Tom Antonton. I have no idea if he's still there, but he was remarkably helpful, so far as he could be as you know uh, as, as somebody who actually worked for Hart Island. And, um, he gave me all sorts of information and, uh, you know, I asked him whether there was any chance of, you know, somehow bringing Dawn back and burying her in Ohio, um, where she had a family and where they would have been very, very happy to, to have her. But, um, in any event, she was on hard Island and there she will stay. You know, um, and I—I uh, I was thinking I might tell you a story about um, the beginning of my book because finding Please this do. out, huh? Please do. Okay. Well, um, when you're writing a biography, it has become something of a cliche to begin the biography with something that catches the person in the midst of life. Uh, In other words, it was the greatest day of his life. You know, he had just been elected president and he was thrilled. There were people to meet, da-da-da-da-da. You know, setting the scene of what the person was like in life. And then going back and saying, but it all started at a small ranch in Denison, Texas, or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I come to think that this was a cliche. So I had begun my book by describing the small town that she came from. And it was all set to be published with, you know, uh, some introduction to Mount Gilead, which was the, the town she was born in, um, and um, so I did that, and I had that all set to go. But then I learned about Hart Island, and I thought to myself, "Well, this really is a story because Dawn Powell's been out of print; she's been buried anonymously on Hart Island in New York City's, you know, Potter's Field." And all of a sudden, you know, she's coming back. And I thought of a quote that Henry James once said late in life when he was um, about to die. He said, one of these days, my novels are going to kick off their tombstones one after the other. And of course, this happened. And we now revere Henry James. And it seemed to me that this was happening with Don Powell. So I decided to find out all I could about Hart Island. I was never able to get a visit. Um, Commander Antonton couldn't have been nicer, and he helped me out with all the information I needed. And I flew over Hart Island many times because it's on the direct path to LaGuardia. But I right. had never set foot there. Um, and uh, I decided I'm going to start with Hart Island. and you know, the idea of the city being big and huge and anonymous. And here are all these dead people, you know, just a little ways from LaGuardia airport and near, you know, near, um, uh, city Island. And so the more I found about Heart Island, I decided, okay, this is how I'm going to start. And so I talked all about Heart Island and I think I made the introduction much more interesting Uh, and then I led into Don Powell being one of the very few people, um, who was really at least at one point, well known who was there since then, we found that there are a number of other, you know, fairly well known people who are there as well. But in 1997, um, we didn't really know that, or at least I didn't know it. and I couldn't find it on the Internet or in, in the New York Times or any of the research places I went. So I decided that Heart Island would be the introduction to Don Powell. And I've never regretted it.
1: Well, I think that's a uh, fitting ending to our little talk. Uh, it was fascinating, Tim. And... Well, I
2: have enjoyed it a great deal. Will you send me a link to this when it's all set?
1: I certainly will. It's probably going to be in another uh, three, four, five weeks, but uh, we're going to do that. And uh, again, uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. I think we know a lot more about Dawn Powell, and uh, I think more people perhaps will be reading uh, uh, her works now. Thank you very much. I
2: hope so. She's wonderful, and your questions were uniformly interesting.
1: Great. Thank you, Tim.
2: Take care now.
0: Hi, this is Norma Jean. I wanted to take a moment to remind you, in order to receive updates or news about upcoming episodes of Talking Heart Island, simply go to the subscribe page on our website, located at www.michaeltkeen.com, and enter your email address. If you have any questions about the podcast itself or simply wish to contact any team members for book inquiries, voiceovers, website, or graphics design, use our contact page, also found at www.michaeltkeen.com. And if you're enjoying the show and would like to give us a review, please do so at iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. So until next week, this is Norma Jean, and we're Talking Heart Island.